Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And this week we actually have a bunch of news to discuss and talk about. Uh, it was a pretty busy week in the NHL. I guess we'll start with the biggest thing, and that is that the Stanley Cup actually got awarded. Uh, we didn't talk about most of the games last week, and that was just because we knew it would be pretty outdated by the time we got it out. But um, the Tampa Bay Lightning are your 2020 Stanley Cup champions, defeating the Dallas Stars in six games. Um, it was pretty. It was an all right series. I didn't, I didn't watch a ton of it, but what I did watch, it wasn't too too bad. Uh, I wouldn't say it was the most thrilling series I've ever watched, but. Um, it was definitely more exciting than I think Islanders Dallas would have been. That's for sure. Oh, a hundred percent. Like the excitement level for the series as a whole was already incredibly low. It's a good thing. It wasn't Islanders Dallas or else it would have been really, really bad. Yeah. Uh, I saw it was the um, worst ratings they've had for a cup clinching game since uh, I think ratings started getting, or since like 2004, no, maybe even earlier. I think it was since NBC took over for sure. And, uh, lowest in a long, long time, but um, uh, that that's kind of expected. You know, uh, people were whining that they put game six against uh, Monday night football, but like they were screwed either way because there was Sunday night football on Sunday, Monday night football on the Monday, and then the freaking presidential debate on Tuesday. Yeah, like I know it's Chiefs Ravens, but if your alternative is the presidential debate, I think you should be able to be comfortable putting your Stanley Cup finals up against Okay, and not even that, not even that, but if you had to go against the presidential debate, it also means that your game five would have been going against Sunday night football, and then everyone would be like, how can you possibly go against Sunday night football? Yeah, exactly. Like, it's it's not a winning situation, and as a sport, I think you have to be kind of comfortable being like, this is a week three game between the Ravens and Chiefs. Like, yeah, exactly. And it's just like, I, I understand that. I think this is kind of shows why going forward, you know, like the NBA talked about maybe switching their format so that they play during the summer and, you know, they have parts of winter off or whatever and starting around Christmas again. I don't think the NHL would want to do that just because they literally cannot compete with the NFL. Like they want to stay out of their way of the NFL as much as possible, especially when it comes to their playoffs. Yeah, 100%. And as sad as it is, that week three Chiefs-Ravens game probably outdrew the uh, Stanley Cup final by, like, orders of magnitude. Oh, yeah, by a lot. I don't know what the final numbers were, but it was definitely a lot. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I Again, it, it's also not too uh, – you know, like they have great markets in their own right for sure. Um, but, you know, I think we've talked about this before. No one – the problem with hockey is that they're all fans of their own team, but – not as the sport in general, you know, and in, in basketball, when the Celtics get put out, a bunch of Celtic fans will still watch basketball for basketball and they'll watch the Lakers heat final or whatever, whether it's hate watching or whatever. Right. But in the NHL, as soon as your team gets put out, so many fans just don't care. So when you already have that, and then you have a market like Tampa and Dallas, which are two good hockey markets on their own, don't get me wrong. Um, but it's not like they have that national draw that says like a Chicago or a Boston would. Yeah, it's one of the downsides of being such a team-driven game as opposed to the star-driven league that the NBA is. Because when people always say stuff like, oh, I can't believe Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, and Austin Matthews are all out already or whatever. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I wouldn't necessarily tune in just because of that anyways. Like, the look at how star-studded the Tampa Bay Lightning are. and It, it doesn't matter. Right? Yeah, I mean, like... Yeah, a lot of people wouldn't just do that. I mean, like, sometimes, you know, 
even with Tampa Bay, I think, and this is part of the NHL's problem on their own too, is, you know, we saw a bit of it this year, but there's no reason that guys like Hedman, Kucherov, Point, Stamkos shouldn't be absolutely massive stars. I argue Stamkos is, but he didn't play it all this year or much um, in yeah. his postseason run. But it's like, you know, the guys should be bigger stars than they are. They're just not marketed well by the NHL. Whereas like you still, you're going to have the certain amount of guys who it doesn't matter how actively you try against marketing, marketing them. They're still going to be popular no matter what, but. True. But even individual, like the problem with it being the ultimate team game is once your team's done, it's a lot harder to care. Oh yeah. And I mean, like I personally find that as well, especially like, I mean, not this year, Ottawa was nowhere close to it. So it was different obviously, but um you know, like in that 2017 run when Ottawa made it all the way to the third round, once they got put out, I just couldn't bother watching any of the finals. Like, damn, like this could have been them. I don't really want to watch it, you know? Yeah, especially I found that same with the, the way the Leaf season ended because this Leaf season was such a dump. Like it was the season itself was fine, but just the attitude around it just felt miserable the entire time. So I was kind of burnt out by the time. It ended, even though there was a freaking four-month break in there. I was still like, yeah, I don't need to be tuning in as often as I otherwise would now that they're gone. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Overall, uh, congratulations to the Tampa Bay Lightning. The best team, I think, won. Um, you know, they were one of the best teams all year. And I, it's coming back to the bubble, they were just clearly the head, you know, best team since the, since the return. I'm so excited we don't need to hear some bullshit about how these seven games tell us that defense wins championships and everybody needs to overhaul their rosters because all you can draw from Tampa winning is ice a really, really good team over, like, over and over again and eventually things will probably go right for you. Yeah, no kidding. And, and that's why it's kind of like – so I think there's a lot of comparisons to be taken away here, but it's also why I don't really understand why, you know, people in uh, – that are least fans just want to focus. Like, obviously you should be focusing on the next four years because you have a great window to win a cup, but it's like, I don't know. Like everyone just acts like when the players hit 26 or 27, your cup window is just slammed shut. It's not at all. Like the past, what, four cup win, like, and obviously there's different ways to win a cup. And this team had guys like Braden Point who are in their, you know, 23 year old windows, but it's not like Steven Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov, Victor Hedman are, like that young anymore they're all like 28 29 right so it's like you can keep running it back with a skilled team and yeah just because you guys get like the guys get up past 25 26 doesn't mean they're not going to win you know yeah same with pittsburgh again and uh st louis washington like washington's what this one really reminded me of where it's like you might not even get rewarded for half a decade if you keep icing a really good hockey team but like eventually if you ice one of the better teams in the league, things will probably all go right for you at once. Yeah. I mean, and you know, sometimes it doesn't look at the San Jose sharks. They've been the better team. They've been a great team for, you know, the better part of a decade. And it just, it didn't seem to work out for them. And now it seems like it might be closed because their guys are in their mid 30, you know, early to mid thirties. But like, you know, it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't think you can fault San Jose for, throwing out a team like that where they made what two or three conference championships and a Stanley cup final in a span of seven years, eight years. And then in the other three or four years, they were still legit threats to get there too. They just went wrong for whatever reason. Yeah, exactly. Like if you, if you ice the best team in the league, not that any individual team did this, but say you ice the best team in the league for like five years, you could end up like San Jose, but I think it's, really all you can do and you just have to hope you end up like Tampa Bay and Washington instead and it'll work out eventually 
Well, I mean, for San Jose, it's like, what other option do you have? You're not tearing it down and rebuilding when, you know, again, a bounce could have gone right and a bounce could have gone right instead of wrong. And then suddenly you have a Stanley Cup, like, right? Like it, there's no other alternative. Yeah, exactly. It's just what you have to and do. If they, but. And if they dump Joe Thornton at 34 because he couldn't win, then they don't go to the Stanley Cup final probably. Yeah. like, like I, after. Exactly. So it is just one of those things where it's like, I don't know. And then everyone's been made. What's made now is that, oh, Tampa went from this high-skilled team to this, you know, they changed their way and they picked up gritty guys like Goudreau and Coleman and Bogosian. We've talked about that uh, a ton of times, you know, here where it's like, yes, Goudreau and Coleman are both gritty, but, like, they're both really actually good at hockey as well. Um, and but the, So the one thing I wanted to um, bring up, and I, I can't remember for the life of me who brought this up on Twitter. I, I, I'm going to look for it if I can, but um, – the big thing is, oh, Tampa paid a first for Barkley Goudreau. No, Tampa paid a first. Well, like, yes, Tampa paid a first, but they also got a third-round pick for this year back. So what ended up happening is Tampa moved 50 spots or less down the draft in order for a year and a half of Barkley Goudreau at $1.5 million. So yeah, like, and I don't, I don't know what the exact value is there but it's probably like giving up a second for Barkley Goodrill by the time you're done yeah I mean I'm gonna let me try and find it it would be like a mid to late second probably literally it was like you know it's like everyone talks about oh they gave up a first you gotta you gotta move your first for this it's like well no they gave up the 31st or I guess this year would be 30th because Arizona oh no next year's Arizona Mm -hmm. doesn't have a first so 31st pick in the draft for um uh a guy when they get back, I think it's the 80th or something like that. So literally they moved down 50 spots, which is a decent jump, but yeah, it's like a second or third rounder, I think overall. So it's like, it's more like they gave up a late second, early third rounder for a year and a half of Barkley Goudreau on a cheap contract rather than, you know, and, and when you put it that way, it sounds way, way better than they gave up just a first round pick for Barkley Goudreau. Yeah. Like you can word it and make it sound like they did the Ryan Reeves trade again with a different body but like it's not at all with yeah yeah right like it's just like it's someone oh here it is it was uh uh i don't know i've never heard of this person but uh his name's evan and their their thing is shattenkirk with two t's as their uh, ad on twitter but you know it said tampa bay didn't trade a first rounder for barkley goudreau they moved back 54 spots from pick 31 to 85 and got goudreau in return the Tampa Bay uh, traded a first for Goudreau storyline is killing me. Tampa Bay's payment for him being overstayed is about 85%. The draft pick value of 31st goes from roughly 0.21 down to 0.1 uh, for, you know, a relative value. So 0.1. Like one being the first pick? Uh, like, so pretty much their value went from, like, the difference of, the first, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but it's like from moving back 50 spots, they, they did not give much up in value at all. Yeah, because like after the first 15 picks or whatever, nerds have been, like us have been screaming it for years, a first-round pick isn't actually what you think it is. Yeah, it, it would be um, just looking at the thing, like for that value to get up where it needs to be, it would literally be like the 70th overall pick. So – a second slash third late second early third rounder is what yeah like within air bars of tampa bay giving up their own second round pick yeah yeah so um you know that's one thing i wanted i thought it was really uh um a good point because that's not something think people think about too often but uh yeah i don't know i i think the narrative of how to build cup contenders 
I think this, the defense first thing will still kind of ring out for some people, uh, maybe not as much, but you know, when the Islanders and stars make your final four, I think people will look at that and say, Oh, we just got to slow the game down. But I mean, maybe that's the option when you don't have a lot of skill and you know, that's been true for years too. Right. Yeah. And if you're like dying to see what you want to see out of it, you can be like, well, Tampa is a great defensive team, which is true. They are a pretty good defensive team, but like how many dudes do they have set offensive records on the way to this cup? Yeah, exactly. It's like, they're, they're a great defensive team, but they can play both ways and they're not afraid to just go run and gun with any team in the league. So yeah. Like they were second in the league in goals for, if you're second in the league in goals for, and also good defensively, like nobody's arguing that's bad. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, that's pretty much all I have to say. Uh, I'm sure we'll touch on, you know, those two teams later in the off season here. Uh, it'll be going pretty quick. I'd, I'd imagine we'll be recording a little more often over the next two weeks as the draft and free agency is going to sneak up on us. Uh, yes. Free agency like next Friday. Yeah. Or the draft is next Friday, I believe. And then free agencies the next week or something like that. I don't know. It's usually like a four day gap or whatever. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's coming up pretty, uh, pretty close uh um sorry i just blanked out for a second there let's move on uh the new york rangers made a couple moves uh so they started out a couple days ago uh sending um mark stall to the detroit red wings with a second round pick for future considerations which uh, in my mind i think is uh um, probably the most obvious time we've seen someone just get dumped as like, this is literally just a cap dump and nothing else. Yeah. Usually there's at least like a sixth going back the other way or like some tweener prospect that you can talk yourself into that the team actually valued him here. It was literally just like, for the love of God, take this contract. Yeah, literally. Um, yeah, exactly. It's like some AHL forward or goes back the other way or whatever, but, uh, uh did anyone go back in the Marlowe deal? Um, let me check. Did they get a seventh out of it? They might have. Dubas does love getting seventh round picks back in trades. Yeah. They have a Carolina sixth, so oh, I'm assuming sixth. it was probably the sixth round pick. Yeah, they got a sixth round pick. So it's usually something small like that. Like, I, um, you know, and like obviously the Marlowe's and other, there are times where it's very painfully obvious that it's just a cap dump. But like, I've never seen just future considerations be given back the other way. Yeah, it's kind of funny, but it's it's perfectly reasonable for both sides. Oh, yes, I, I totally understand. I think um, especially it uh, becomes more obvious why they needed that cap space uh, once we get to the second piece. But, yeah, for the, the Rangers, they, they get some cap space and give up a second. And for Detroit, you're going to be bad for uh, another year, you know, and you, they have some money coming off the books that they clearly – I mean, they have a ton of cap space right now. They have 27 million. They have some RFAs to sign too, but I don't think that'll break the bank. But uh, Mark Stahl is one more year at 5.7. He can eat some minutes on you on your blue line. And for, I don't know, whatever you put in a character, he's fine for a rebuilding character group, I guess. So you get a second round pick to just take one year of a bad contract. That's the perfect kind of deal. Yeah, exactly. It's perfect. And I saw some people making fun of the Red Wings because they said, they made it sound like they're planning on playing them. But like you just said, like, if there's ever a time to invest in character, it's a 33-year-old vet who was once good, at least, who can teach the guys how to play in a year where you're going to lose anyways. So playing Mark Stahl actually achieves your goal of getting outscored. Yeah, exactly. And, like, yeah, I mean, again, I don't know. I think uh, experience can be overrated, but this is supposedly going to be a, a younger, younger team, and it's going to be a bad team either way. But – 
having a guy who uh, has played over 100 NHL playoff games and um, 892 regular season games, so literally just under 1,000 actual NHL total games played, um, you know, having him on your blue line for guys who are, who might be coming up this year, like uh, I don't know if Sider's going to make the team or not, but, you know, they have a couple uh, young guys, McIsaac, Philip Ronick. Uh, you know, they have a couple guys that might be pushing for a spot on the blue line. You know, having him is not the worst thing. And, again, like, they're like, oh, haha, he's going to play. I mean, look at their defense core right now, though. It's Mark Stahl, Danny DeKaiser, Patrick Namath, and Alex Biega are the only four that they have under contract in the NHL right now. Trevor Daly's a UFA. Jonathan Erickson's a UFA. Madison Bowie's an RFA, so he'll probably come back. And then Cody, Gol- Cody Golubuff is an, a UFA. So, you're having maximum four or five guys, and two of those guys are Patrick Namath and Alex Biega, and Danny DeKaiser, I guess, as well. Yeah, exactly. So it's like – and it's one of those things where you probably just don't want to give the roster spots to the kid I, kids either. So having just someone with at least NHL pedigree there isn't the worst thing in the world, even though he is bad. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't – I thought this was a brilliant move by Detroit. Uh, you know, so – uh, and then, you know, the cap space, they freed up uh, $5 million in cap space, and they ended up using it right away, just maybe not in the way everyone thought they would. Um, uh, the biggest buyout we've seen in a little while, I think, as long as I can remember, uh, just in terms of name value alone, really, Hendrik Lundqvist gets bought out by the uh, New York Rangers so they can go with uh, Shosturkin and Gorgiev. I'm assuming either Lundqvist didn't want to waive his no trade or uh, no teams really wanted to give an asset up from him, but uh, this will be a $5.5 million cap hit this year on the books and 1.5 next year. So the Rangers now with Shattenkirk, 6 million this coming year on the books for his buyout. Uh, Lundqvist 5.5, Spooner 300,000, Dan Girardi 1.1 million. They have $13 million in cap space next year tied into guys who will not be playing on their team. That's insane. It is nuts. I think that that's got to be close to the most for like, especially multiple guys like that. But, um, and then they also, Oh, sorry, go ahead. You would have to hope. And like two of the guys might even be good next year. Yeah, exactly. Well, Shattenkirk was great this year. Like he was the second or third best defenseman on a cup winning team, you know, like Shattenkirk will be good next year. Lundquist might. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, and they're still paying Brad Richards for like four more years, I think. They're still paying him one mil. It's just not on the books. Cause I think How that long has he been gone for? Um, since 14-15. They paid him three mil, three mil, five mil, one mil, and then it's one mil for like a decade. And that goes until 25, 20, uh, 2025, 2026. Jesus. Good yeah. for Richards. Um, but, you know, again, like the, the Rangers are a team that can afford that, I guess, right? So, um it still leaves them with uh, the first overall pick, obviously, and then Carolina's pick, and they have $23 million in cap space right now. They need to re-sign um, Anthony D'Angelo. Uh, they need to just get other defensemen because they only have four under contract right now. Uh, and then Ryan Strom and Brendan Lemieux are the two big ones up front that they'll have to re-sign. Um, so they'll they'll be they'll have a lot and Alex Gordiev as well, but so they should theoretically have a decent amount of cap space to work with if they want to go do something. Yeah, you would think they could go big game hunting, especially because they can clearly spend money and most other teams cannot at the moment. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know. I again, we've talked about this um, off air and even on the podcast. I think a couple times. Uh, I can't wait to absolutely hammer whatever the under for win- or for points is for the Rangers next year because I just I don't. 
Maybe like I don't know. With uh, Lafreniere, it's a little harder to tell. But like this core that they have, excluding Lafreniere, just uh, it doesn't give me a ton of hope right now. Like I don't think a lot of their young guys are all that amazing. No, and it looks like they might be going like big free agent hunting again, which I think would be doubling down on this current iteration of the roster, and I don't think that's a good idea. No, I don't think so either. But like, I, I guess they are just saying, "Let's the, the hell with it. Let's do it." Um, you know, I, I think there's if they could get another centerman, I would at least feel better about their team because then at least I feel like the top six would be um, pretty solid and you can just tinker away at the bottom six. Like if you have a top six for the next three years of Artemi Panarin, Chris Kreider, Mika Zibanejad, Alexi Lafreniere, a legitimate top six center, and then Pavel Buchnevich and you hope Kako or Chidel can become, or Howden even can become a top six player. And you have Ryan Strom there as well. Like that's not the worst top six, top nine I've ever seen. Yeah, that's that's like a perfectly reasonable. You're betting on some growth, but like growth from barely very highly touted players. So it's not crazy to think that they will grow. Yeah, and then you should have a decent goaltending core duo in net. And then on the back end, again, I don't, I just don't think it's amazing. I really like Adam Fox. Ryan Lindgren was solid this year, but I mean, again, uh, I don't know if you're trusting those two guys to be the absolute pillars of your defense. Jacob Trouba is probably overrated. You have Brendan Smith and Tony Deand or Tony Anthony. D'Angelo as your uh, two other guys right now. So it's like, that's not a, a, a strong point, but it's also not like the worst group I've ever seen either. No, like it's tolerable. What would worry me though is like, it's really dependent on Fox being like a legit number one defenseman. And like statistically, there's a very good argument that he was better than Hughes and McCarr this year. But what scares me about, Fox is a sort of like Bayesian argument that like our prior on Fox coming into the league, nobody really thought he was going to be that good. So like there is a chance everybody was wrong, but there's also a chance that like, we know these numbers we use can be kind of noisy that it was more of a luck based first year and he regresses really hard next year. And if he does that, it looks really ugly, really quick. Or not even really hard, but just like, cause like, I don't think people thought he was going to be bad or anything. It's just, he wasn't supposed to be a top, 20 defensemen in the league he was supposed to be more yeah. like a second pair guy so yeah if he regresses to a number two number three kind of guy you're you're in some trouble because but i mean you know and going forward they're they're hoping you know k andre miller or libor hajek uh comes up and and helps the decor a little bit it, it's not the worst thing i've ever seen by any means it's just like i don't know I, it feels like they're kind of st- um, stuck in between two areas of like they're paying uh, Panarin, Kreider, even Zabanajed and Trubo. I'll mark into that, you know, even though Trubo's 26. But they're paying a bunch of guys in their mid to late 20s a bunch of money. And I don't know how I feel about their prospects because, you know, I, I, I mean, I think Lafreniere is going to be amazing. Um, but, like, do, do I think that highly of Julian Gauthier, Brett Howden, Phil Chidel, or Capo Kaku right now? Not particularly. Like, and, you know, Leas Anderson hasn't shown much of anything. Vitaly Kratsov looks really good. But, like, I don't know. Like, they, they have some names. It's just I don't think it's quite as good as everyone else seems to think. Yeah. And for Fox, sorry, I was, I was talking specifically because they think they're going to be competitive for next year. Like, uh, Keandre Miller could very well fill that hole down the road or whatever. But I just mean for the fact that they think they're going to be a good team next year if Fox regresses. That gets ugly for the NHL level immediately very quickly. Yeah, yeah, and that's very fair. Um, 
I guess we'll look at the other side of things. Uh, if he wants to play, I think there's uh, – it depends what Hendrik Lundqvist wants to do. Um, to, that will depend on the um, scenarios on where he goes because I think one of the biggest reports was that he didn't really want to be a full backup in uh, New York, but he also – you know uh, that, that makes it a little more riskier when there's three goalies as well. Uh, I, I do wonder if he would be open to being a tandem kind of guy where, you know, maybe he's not the, the go-to guy in the playoffs at 38 years old or whatever. But I think there's some options for teams, um, you know, if he is open to being a tandem guy. Yeah, I, I would love to take a shot on him, especially if your starter is like a younger guy who could learn from him or whatever. It's the same thing as like potentially good character up front that like, who better to learn from than Henrik Lundqvist being a part of your tandem if you're like a 25-year-old goalie. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, I, I was going through the teams the other day, and I would assume he would want to go to a team that, you know, has a good chance at the Cup. So that's – I said let's limit to top 10 or 12 or whatever rosters you could see. So to me, that puts Anaheim out. That puts Arizona out. Um, it depends what price range he wants to go at too because, again, I could see him – asking for three or four million dollars or even two or three million dollars from a team if they're maybe on the outside looking in but if they're like one of the top five teams to win a cup maybe he goes yeah I'll come play for you for a million dollars for one year or whatever but if that's the case you know maybe if Vegas figures out what they're doing with Flurry, could you imagine a Leonard and Lundquist tandem in Vegas that'd be awesome same with the St. Louis Blues like I think that's another option um Say he I starts, think, like, 30 games behind Carter Hart in yep. Philadelphia. Philly was another option. I don't think Columbus is. Carolina, I don't think, is the worst option. No, um, they have two goalies under contract, though. Yeah, they? James Reimer's one, but he was rumored to be moved maybe even to, like, somewhere like Ottawa this year. So, um, Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, that, that was the report that came out today, just for getting rid of salary, I would assume, or to make space for a better non-James Reimer goalie, like Andrew Lundqvist. I guess if they're cash-trapped, yeah. Yeah, um, but, you know, I think, like, just in a team fit, Carolina makes enough sense. Um, some people might say Washington. I, I don't know, just with the cap space and everything. I think it's going to be Samsonov's net, so that doesn't make a ton. But, you, like, could even, do, yeah, um, you could sign him as, like, if all goes well, he plays 30-odd games behind Samsonov, like I was saying with Car- Carter Hart. Yeah, that's true. I, and it just depends if he wants to take that role. And, you know, if he's open to it, then sure. Uh, Edmonton. And Vancouver both make sense to me um, yep. in a relative sense anyways. San Jose doesn't make like the worst amount of sense to me. I, I don't know. It just depends how, how much regression you think that Sharks team's going to have. I think they'll bounce back. I don't think they'll be the fourth or third worst team in the league again or whatever it was this year. No, like they were obviously a better team than they showed last year. But like I still don't think they're good. No, I think their cup window is probably closed. So, you know um, – their playoff window might even be closed. Yeah, maybe. I mean, if you get hot goaltending for 40 games, maybe not. And then, because it's not like they don't have star potential to, or star talent to carry them for an unsustainable stretch or anything like that. But true, I, I guess nobody's playoff window is truly closed ever. Yeah, their, their uh, status of being perennial guys where you can just circle into the playoffs every year is definitely shut closed. So, but uh, uh, Calgary is another team that, you know, kind of makes some sense as a tandem guy. Uh, Colorado makes some sense, I think, as well. Um, and then that's about it. But Yeah, like, like there are enough teams that could benefit from a guy who just simply knows how to be a starting goalie in the NHL. 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and every once in a while can just pull a game where he makes 50 stops out of, you know, out of nowhere. And so I think if, you know, if I had to tier them, you'd have the, it, again, it all depends on what he wants, but you have the obvious cup contender. So it's like Vegas or St. Louis or uh, Colorado, you know, would kind of be in that one. And then it's like the good rosters, but maybe a bit more of a long shot. And that's where the Canadian teams, I think, kind of fit in. And I think most people would throw Carolina in there. Uh, and I think they're kind of on the cusp of like, top six or seven teams slash seven or eight to 12 or whatever you want to put them at. Yeah. There's something like that. Like there's a very distinct top tier teams in the league and they're just in that next group. Right. Yeah. Um, so um, but yeah, I don't, I don't have much more to say on Lundquist. I hope he goes somewhere. I, I, I mean, maybe he just wants to retire. The dude is 38 and has been a career life in uh, New York. That's, doesn't seem like the worst thing and I don't know how many millions and millions of dollars he has made but I'm willing to bet it is quite a lot and he's still going to be paid I just checked in oh go ahead his career earnings will go over a hundred million dollars if he signs like a league min contract yeah so he's pretty much made a hundred million and that's without uh um um, endorsements endorsements yeah so he's definitely made over a hundred million dollars so you know it's it, he very easily could just walk away if he doesn't really want to play but if he wants to get a cup I, I would really it'd be really cool to see him go somewhere like Colorado or Vegas or somewhere like that where they could have a really good shot next year of winning yeah the uh the Rangers finally looking like they're at least trying to build towards something and moving on from Henrik Lundqvist is like one of the hockey gods ultimate cruelties yeah, exactly. So um, uh, let's go to another buyout then. Um, Bobby Ryan bought out by the Ottawa Senators in a move that I think with the Hank one, it at least made sense. And like some people suggested it before the season, this one I did not see coming at all. I'm not going to lie. So you can actually justify the Hank one as a hockey decision because you're going with your two young goalies. You really can't justify this one as a hockey decision given when the Ottawa Senators should expect to be competitive. Yeah, not really. Like, so they tried coming out and saying it was a hockey decision. They want to give another spot for a young forward. But, like, I don't, if that's the case, just don't re-sign Scott Sabarin. You know, like, trade Artemi Anisimov. Like, yeah, I, and I, also, I, like, they don't – unless I'm wrong, they don't have that many forwards that, like, Bobby Ryan was going to be a, this huge clog in the machine here. Not like a mat. Like they have guys they can call up, but like right now, their only forwards on contract are Colin White, Artemi Anisimov, and Brady Kachuk. Scott Sabrin and Matthew Pekka are UFAs, and then you have Connor Brown, Chris Tierney, J.C. Harlock, Rudolph Balsers, Nicholas Paul, and Anthony Clare all as RFAs. Um, so I would say get rid of Sabrin, um, get rid of Pekka. Sign Brown, Tierney, Harlick, Balsers, Paul, declared to short-ish term deals. So now you're at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine forwards. Um, so then you look at you look at the minors. They're gonna want they want uh, Batherson up full time this year. Fair enough. They want Logan Brown probably up full time this year. Fair enough. They probably want Joshua Norris up full time this year. Fair enough. So there you're at twelve. Now you have guys like Formentin, Chlapik, and uh, Vitaly Abramov who, you know, are all kind of uh, on the bubble, I would say. But, like, I, I just – I don't see – like, if you scratch Chris Tierney or Harlock or even Nick Paul for a game or two here or there to get other guys into the roster, I just don't think that's that bad of a decision. And I don't think all – trusting that all of Formentin 
Abramov and Chlapik, I mean, Chlapik at this point is what he is. He's a 12th, he's a bottom six forward. But like trusting that every single guy is going to be ready to play full-time minutes in the NHL this year seems foolish. Yeah, like you have to prepare for a whole bunch of, not a whole bunch, but like at least a couple of those guys to fizzle out. There's no yeah. way you're hitting on all of those young players. And now maybe the, you know, I, I would be, I've said a couple times, I'd be shocked if they don't pick up one of Tampa's forwards this year in like Kalorn or someone like that. Like I'm sure they're, they've already said their plan is to take on some dead money or bad, you know, bad contracts for a couple of years. Um, and especially up front and they're looking for veteran UFAs up front, I guess too. But so like you get a couple guys coming in there too, but it's just like, like a veteran UFA is Bobby Ryan right now, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm happy for Bobby Ryan because, you know, the guy's been through a lot, a ton of stuff. But, like, this has got to be the first time the Ma- uh, Masterton Trophy winner has been let go and bought out of his team, right? Like, um, and, you know, so it saves the Senators $3 million in real money, which I think is kind of why they might have done it. But at the same time, like, is there going to be someone you truly find? And maybe, I guess, a league men contract is saving you $2 million then. But over the course of the contract, I don't, like – you're going to be paying some guy, even if you pay a guy league min for three years, you're going to be spending the same amount of money you would be to just have him on the team for two years. Yeah. And like what really irritates me about it from a hockey perspective is you don't like to spend money to begin with. And now you're spending $2 million in 2022 through 2024. And you should actually expect to be trying to win in those years. Probably. Yeah. You would think, and like, even if it's not the money that you're worried about, it's just like, why are you adding a $1.83 million cap hit onto your team for two extra years when you have so much room to swallow it? Like, just eat it right now. Yeah, exactly. Like, eat it for even one more. Like, I, I don't really get it. It's not the end of the world, but, like, I thought it was kind of dumb. Yeah, I mean, I am kind of with you there. Like, um, you know, people are like, oh, it's a, it's a smart move. It's like, well, like, I'm not really. Like, you know, like... I, I get there. They are. There's a lot of young guys they're going to want to bring up, and that's fine. But like, you can make room for the young guys relatively easy enough, you know? Like, yeah, like their prospect system isn't so stocked that they needed to give away eight wing spots. And Bobby yeah. Ryan was crushing. Now, like, the they do weeks. have picks three and five this year too. So may I, I would assume whoever they get at three will make the roster opening night, and maybe even five. But who knows about five? You know, that might be they play a year in the minors. So it's like they do have guys that they want to bring up, but again, like if, if, you know, it comes down to keeping Bobby Ryan who, you know, then you don't have the four year term or signing a veteran UFA, just keep Bobby Ryan, you know, or if it comes to we're, we could get a sixth for picking up this bad contract, just keep Bobby Ryan say, no, we're not going to pick up that bad contract because we don't have space for him on our roster. Or if you do pick it up, say you're not playing on our roster, you know, like, Yeah, and even, like, the third overall pick – the fifth overall pick playing is, like, almost unprecedented. And even the third overall pick playing is reasonably rare. It's rare enough, yes. But, like, I think this is also a much more different draft class than usual where it's, like, the top-end talent is much higher than uh, generally speaking. But True, but that McDavid draft was considered the best draft of its time, and three or four both didn't play right away. Yeah, that's fair. But – you know, also three didn't end up playing for about three years as well, right? And, yes. you know, the, the Brady Kachuk draft, he came out right away. Uh, Cockney played half his year right away too. So it's, I think it's happening more recently where guys aren't as afraid to at least try them. And 
The other thing is, who knows what's happening with the AHL next year? Um, that's a little yeah, worrisome. That's and even the OHL, like I know the CHL is putting their plan right now to um, try and come back together. Like they have, they haven't set any firm dates for games or anything like that, but they are, uh, they, they set dates for camps to start again in a couple months. So uh, I don't know, like it's, it's not the worst move I've ever seen, but it is a bit of a head scratcher and it's, it kind of makes you wonder if it was just more of a monetary decision than anything else. Oh, I'm like reasonably certain it was just to save money. Yeah, because it's just like, and also at the same time, like I'm all for, I've all always been for bringing prospects up, but like how many prospects can you reasonably have? Because they talked about create, moving guys out to create more space for either incoming people or prospects. It's like Colin White's 23, Brady Kachuk's 21, uh, Connor Brown's 26, Tierney's 26, uh, Balser's is 23, Duclair's 25, and then you ideally are trying to bring in an 18-year-old, a 21-year-old, a 22-year-old, uh, a 22-year-old, and maybe a 21-year-old. So it's like, the average age of this forward group is actually going to be like 23 years old. And I'm, again, I'm, I think that uh, experience or whatever gets overrated, but I think that is really young for a group. Yeah. And like, it's not necessarily the worst idea either to be like, Hey, 21 year old, maybe one more year in the minors is more beneficial than playing on the 29th best team in the league. Yeah. The third line or fourth line of the 20th yeah. best team in the like league. Right? Playing with terrible teammates against NHL players night yeah. in, night in, might not be the best way to learn. No. And so I don't know. Like, I, I think it's, I can, I can kind of see it both ways. It just, it's one of those things where it's like, if it was any other team, I think you could justify it easier at least. Um, but with Ottawa and just the ownership and everything, it's like, okay, this just kind of, to me, screams like it's more of a money thing than anything else. Oh, yeah. It 100% just screams like a, a monetary decision, purely. Yeah. So, um, I guess the other one is, uh, where do you see Bobby Ryan going? He's even, like, I think he could go just about anywhere in the league and it would make sense uh, in terms of, you know, getting your career just kind of back going again. Yeah, he seems like the perfect guy who, since he's being paid by Ottawa too, can sign like a league min deal with a good team and play a depth role for them. He's going to sign the Corey Perry deal this year, I think. Yep. Like, he seems like a perfectly good candidate to sign that deal. Yep. Uh, he signed Corey Perry's deal for anyone who uh, wants to know was one year. Uh, it had a 1.5 cap hit with uh, performance bonuses that got him up to 3.25 million. And I think they hit all the bonuses because they ended up going to like um, the cup final. So it was games played bonuses. So 250 grand at, at 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 games, uh, another 250 at qualification um, as long as he plays 50 regular season games and a hundred thousand bonus to make the playoffs, which he did. And then it would have been another 150 K if they won the Stanley cup. So he was two games away from getting another 150 K that is the exact kind of deal. I see Bobby Ryan signing. I don't think he's going to sign a complete league men. He could, he's made a ton of, them. I think he's made like 60 million in earnings or something like that this year or this year in his lifetime as well. So like he could, but I think he'll sign a 1.5 base salary with a just games played or points bonuses to get him up to anywhere between two and a half to three and a half million dollars. And I think there's lots of teams who should be willing to pay for that. Yeah, 100%. Like any team who could use a depth scoring winger, he can probably play what? Your second power play? Yep. 
Yep. I, so I wrote a piece and uh, for Mile High Hockey, uh, and it was pretty much could Bobby Ryan help the Avalanche. And my kind of thing with that kind of came to if he's cheap enough, sure. But at the same time, he's not necessarily what the Avalanche need just because they have a bunch of depth forwards already. They could use a top six guy. But at the same time, He's a you know he if he helps you get some depth scoring and that could have been very useful for them this playoff run. So I was surprised at the feedback from like on Reddit they were like just full no he doesn't help but you know they're like we need more defense which uh, I guess is just the Dallas Stars narrative stuff. But I was like uh, Colorado's depth didn't score at all in games like five six and seven for them and they lost by a goal. So I don't know if defense is the issue there, but. Yeah, that is the one blocker to Ryan is you want to play him in a depth role, so you have to be willing to run, like, more modern, offensively focused third and fourth lines probably. Like, I don't think you want to put him on the bang and crash Islanders third line. No, not at all. And, um, you know, again, people are going to hate me for saying – I hate me for saying this, but if he is that – like, if he's willing to take league men – somewhere like Toronto on the fourth line with Spezza doesn't shock me if he went there, or Tampa Bay even – you know, the Leafs in Tampa seem like the exact kind of teams who would be willing to run a fourth line that he would fit great on. Exactly. Like he joins the bottom six, you know, cause they're going to have to, uh, we talked about it. They're going to have to move guys out. So if you have Kucherov, Stamkos point, I would assume they're going to move Johnson and or Kalorn. I could very easily see both of them going if they find suitors. Um, so that means you got Blake Coleman, Cedric Paquette, Barkley Goudreau, you're probably losing Patrick Maroon. Um, you know, Bobby Ryan isn't Patrick Maroon, but if he comes in there and tries to give you something of the same thing on a third line where it's like he can help pitch in some scoring, you know, he, he for cheap enough, he's one of those deals where it's like he signs it and goes, wait, how's this guy, how's teams paying this guy $5 million not to be on their active roster right now? Yeah, like he should be able to contribute like Patrick Maroon. He won't be able to, he won't do it in the same way. Like it won't be as physical or whatever, but his like production should be right in line with that kind of a player in your bottom six. Yep. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think there's a couple, and even at West, I think there's a few teams as well. And if he's, again, he's only, he is kind of like the Shattenkirk more than Perry, where it's like, I think Perry's older, if I'm not mistaken. Isn't yeah, like, Perry's like 35. That's what I thought. Yeah, Corey Perry's 35, and like, he's had a ton of injuries, and so is Ryan, but like, Ryan is a uh, 31 or no, actually, maybe he's 33. Maybe he's not that much younger. It's not one of those things where it's like he clearly has just nothing left to give, and it's just like the Patrick Marlowe of this year signing a contract with the, the Sharks just to be absolute dog. Like, like it's not a Patrick Marlowe situation from last year, right? No, it's not nearly to that extreme. No, but so it's like I think even if, like, he is, you know, he really needs to go get it just his – or he wants playing time to prove he's still got something, even going to, like – Chicago on a one-year deal or something like that, where you know you're going to be playing in the middle six, you know, maybe he does that instead. Yeah, to get some more ice time. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I don't have a bunch more to say on that either. Do you? No, just depends what he wants. He should have options this summer. I would think so, yeah. There should be a, a couple teams calling him, especially if he's got a reasonable price on him. Um, all right, we have an extension to talk about. Uh, Jeff Petrie signs a four-year deal. Uh, with a cap hit of $6.25 million. It'll see him paid $25 million over the course of the contract. Um, this seems like it would have been the perfect deal if it started either this past year or maybe even this coming year. I have a little bit of hesitancy to it, though, because he's got one more year left at his current deal. So this deal is not going to kick in until he is almost 34 years old just because of how the seasons are going to work out. 
Yeah, he will turn 34 during the first year of this deal. And, like, Jeff Petrie is really good now, but that gets dicey really quickly. Yes, and I get that you want to lock him up because it's like you don't want the rumors all year or whatever, but this feels like one if I'm Montreal or maybe maybe I'm waiting for at least half a year just to see. Like, imagine he comes out next year and just, like, God forbid. Like, I don't think he's going to come out and just be – awful or anything like that but if he starts to have even some regression next year you're going to be sweating as this contract goes on yeah it gets really dicey because like so i was amazed by this when i was working with age adjustments for my models projections or whatever like if you go down there's not that many 34 year old defensemen in the league period and those who are 34 tend to be better like and are good tend to be better than jeff petrie ever was yeah, like it's like the Che Webers of the world, yeah, right? It's like, like Che Weber was a per- perennial Norris guy. Like Mark Giordano was a Norris guy kind of thing. Like Petrie's been good, underrated throughout his career, sure. But like 34, 35, 36, and 37-year-old seasons, there aren't that many guys of Jeff Petrie's quality who are still competent by then or even in the league. Yeah, and, like, the two years in your late 30s like that makes such a difference to the point where when this got signed, I thought he was 31 turning 32. So I thought they were buying 32, 33, 34, and 35 years. And I was like, that's a perfectly reasonable deal. You know, by the fourth year, it still might look kind of bad, and that's fair. But, like, you know, for right now, that's fine. You know, good for him. And then I looked, I was like, oh, shoot, he's still got another year left. And then I was like, oh, no, he also turns 33 on December 9th. So – Again, and, and this is kind of just more unfortunate on how the seasons are aligned now because of COVID, but you have to take that into account when signing a contract. But uh, theoretically, where all reports point to next season starting January at some point, right? So I figure they're probably going to cut a month off every year to try and get back into June. So if you go next year starts January, goes to July, that means the year after that's going to start December. So as it's starting or as the year's already started, he will already be 34 years old. Um, and that's troublesome and then you know if that season goes from December till June and then you start November and then you go till late May and then you're kind of back on track right but still yeah like I yeah it's one of those ones we've actually brought this up a lot since we started doing the podcast but just the fact that it's an extension worries me so much like it would be so much nicer if the way things worked out was this was signed four years right now yeah exactly like and it's like, oh, well, how big of a difference can one year make? It's like, well, big enough, you know? Like, Yeah, when we're talking with late 30s defensemen, one year is a very big deal. Yeah, especially, yeah, especially just even now for like, again, like I get, uh, I, I, don't, I don't understand the rush because I've never understood the rush of signing 30-something-year-olds a year out before their contract expires. Especially because if the Habs come like 24th again this year, this contract looks really stupid. Yeah, well, it's just like, I get his value grew a lot this year. Like, I think he's finally starting to get the coverage he's probably deserved for, like, three years now. But, like... Just in time for him to decline and become overrated. No kidding. But it's like, so with the RFAs, it makes sense to sign them a year ahead because it's like, theoretically, they should grow another year, right? Like, if you're signing a... If you're signing your 20... uh, A guy who's an RFA at 23, you're signing him as soon as he hits the 22 part where, where, where you can sign him, right? That makes he's sense. Probably going to be better. Yeah, exactly. Because like it, you know, the your evidence is probably suggesting that he's actually going to become better, and his value is going to increase either marginally or not marginally. You know, but with this, it's just like 
maybe the media hypes him up so much and that's what you get worried about, but it's just like his actual on-ice results in production are not likely to keep going up from his age 32 to 33 years. No, not at all. And like I said, like say the Canadians, they were like 23rd this year. Say they even improve, but they only come 19th next year. Like if they're signing this extension after coming 19th next year, it looks really dumb. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't, like, it's, I think, uh, you know, the thing with Montreal is we all, we kind of just accept that it's like, they think they're probably better than they actually are. So it's like, it, it makes enough sense why you do it. It's just like, or why, why they did it. Not, you know, it doesn't make sense logically, but I under, I'm not shocked when I saw it come through. And I don't think, again, I don't think it's a horrible deal. And I mean, even if like Jeff Petrie becomes a third pairing defenseman in a couple of years, yeah, you don't want to eat $6.25 million, but there's ways to move it. You know, he might be Mark Stahl in a couple of years where it's like, if we really need this space, we're going to give a second to get out from underneath of it in year four. It's just like, it, it's, I don't know. I would have waited at least a half a year to see what next year kind of brought. But um, I like Jeff Petrie as a part, like he seems like a great guy and he's been on, like, he's one of the more underrated players for the past couple of years. I don't think he is maybe now anymore, but um, so good, to, good for him to get paid at least. Yeah. It's, it's great for him to get paid especially since he's been, relatively underpaid for a while but yeah like people sometimes say like oh analytics guys are they hate every contract to uh 33 plus year olds or whatever it's like well that's true and like most of them don't end up catastrophic like i don't think this contract is catastrophic it's justifiable i just think it's unwise but also like if you just bet against these contracts working out you're gonna be right way more often than you're wrong Oh, you're going to almost always be right. And it's just because like, and there's two sides to it too, right? Like I think analytic people make it sound like it is the end of the world where it's like, we've seen with Mark Stahl when you sign this deal. Yeah, it's not good. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I'd much rather side with the analytical, but it's like so far over the other. It's like, Oh, you're never going to be able to move this. It's like, no, any contract can get moved in the NHL for the right price. And even sometimes for not a price, there's just another dumber team willing to take on a contract, right? Like, or, you know, get an asset or whatever. So it's like, it can be moved. It's just like, but if you're betting, if the best case scenario is that you're just praying that you don't have to give them an asset in four years to move them, it's probably not a smart contract. Yeah, exactly. Like if your defense is like, he's good, he's just not that good. It's like, well, yeah, it's, he's still just probably, the most likely scenario is he doesn't live up to the contract, which is not what you generally want to be signing. Yeah, exactly. Um I think our other like actual piece of kind of news is um, Bob Bugner uh, got re-ups uh, as the, you know, he was the interim head coach when uh, DeBoer got fired this year from Vegas or from the Sharks. And he is now the head coach. I didn't even see the details of the contract. I don't care that much. I think he will be fired within a year or two. He's not a good coach. Um, I don't think so anyways. Yeah. I don't feel super passionately about him. He seems like the exact kind of coach that like a middling team hires he has a very mediocre record over like three years and then he just kind of gets fired. I'll even argue. I, I think, you know, so we talk about like, there's the coaches that do stuff. A few of them do stuff a lot that don't do much of anything either way. And people who negatively impact your team, I think he negatively impacts his teams. Like when, when yeah. he, when he was in Florida, he had all the talent in the world and they were garbage. And then he left and they got better, not like a ton, ton better. There was obviously problems with the roster, but like, they got better. Yeah, I think it's justifiable. Justifiable to be pretty skeptical. It's not like 
Not like he did anything in Florida that made you think, wow, like that was awesome. No, like I, I just like, I don't know. So you look at the teams that he's coached and he was an assistant in San Jose for a couple of years. And, you know, they, those were pretty good. And then he went to Florida and um, they missed the playoffs two years in a row. And that was with really talented teams. Like there's no excuse for, there's no way like those, the teams in 17, 18, 18, 19 really should have been that far out of the playoffs or as far as they were. Um, yeah. Cause one year they were like super far out. Were they not? Yes. I believe, I believe it was the 18, 19 year when they had a 0.524 winning percentage. Which is just essentially a below 500 team. Oh, sorry. No, it, it might, it might have been because they had 14 overtime losses in the one freaking year, but you know, it's just like, I don't know. Like I just don't expect them to be, you know, they, they shouldn't have been that bad. And then he goes to the Sharks as an assistant coach for part of last year. And then uh, is the head coach at the end of the year. So it's like, I don't know. Like the last time this guy's had anything close to even remotely success was his back-to-back championships in the OHL back in 2008 and 2009 with the Windsor Spitfires. And then since then his record goes uh, lost in round one with the, he, sorry, he was an assistant for Columbus for, part of a year in 2010-11. Then he lost in round one with the Spits out of the playoffs, lost in round one with Spits out of the playoffs, and then assistant with San Jose for a couple years. Yeah, you know how, like, every time a team hires a new guy out of college, it's like, look, maybe this does blow up in our face, but at least there's a lot of upside here, whereas these old reruns have, like, a really, really capped upside. Yeah. This just seems like – uh, San Jose accepting that capped upside to be. Like, I was gonna say I it's like getting the guy who has coaching experience. Yeah, it's like when you hire a college guy, it's like, yo, the, yeah, this might work out, but it also might blow up in our face. You cut out the first part of that sentence for Bob Boudner because you know it's probably like the working out in this scenario is what just not being an absolute disaster and making it back to like the 16th best team in hockey because your team regressed. Yeah, working out is. He's a league average coach. This team is like within error bars of the playoffs, kind of like they're right on the bubble, maybe in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Like it's, uh, I don't get it. Like I, I just would have like much rather, like maybe it's with the pandemic. Um, you know, the, who knows how long coaches are actually going to have to instill anything in the team this year. So maybe they just want to go with the guy they're familiar with from last year or whatever. And I guess that makes sense. I just, I really don't think he's that good of a coach. I think he's got to be bottom 10 in the league easily. Yeah. There was a lot of that in the NFL where people were talking about that, like Adam Gase and them probably would have been fired, but nobody wanted to hire a new coach going into the season if they didn't have to. So maybe that was a part of it. Yeah, and, you know, I get, like, not not the worst logic, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it really matters for San Jose, though. Like I said, this seems like mediocre team hires mediocre coach. They get mediocre results and decide to fire the coach in three years or whatever. Yeah, or a year and a half or whatever it is, you yeah. know. Yeah, I I totally agree with you there. It just, this roster is not great. And, you know, maybe they get some regression or whatever just from here. Cause they did have a lot of bad injury luck last year too. Like, I don't think they were quite as bad as they showed, but I think their yeah, days they are re- which even with Martin Jones, you're probably not expecting an eight ninety six again. Yeah, exactly. Um, so um, the only other thing I really had to um, 
I don't really have much more. Uh, I wrote down Arizona just because it sounds like they, and we talked about this last week too, but it literally sounds like they are just going to sell on every single player they possibly can. Which is so fun that somebody's finally taking an NHL GM mode approach to real life. Yeah, but it's not as fun because the reason they're doing it is because they don't have money. Yes. They, they want to just get under like the 60, it's into the 60s, I think is the last number I heard for what they want their salary expenditure to be this year. Yeah, which is some real like Oakland A's stuff where it's like, how do you expect to field a competitive roster when you're paying? It was Ottawa of last year. I think they paid $50 million for their actual roster. Yeah, like by – I assume they're just going to be a miserable team next year. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really curious to see how this turns out. Again, I think we talked about it. Um, uh, maybe it was a couple years, uh, a couple weeks ago. Now I think about it, we talked about this, but it's just like, I think teams will be all over all of Reckman Larson, but I don't think they should be. No, but I do but think teams. Be. Yes. But I do think teams will be all over uh, Darcy Kemper and they absolutely should be in my opinion. Oh, yeah, I would think you'd get a King's Ransom for Darcy Kemper, especially looking at that $4.5 million cap hit in a year where teams are relatively cash poor. For two like more years as well. starting goalie. Yeah, and then you can walk away by the time he turns 32. Like, that's a perfect contract for any contender right now. Yeah, like, I think they should probably be asking for a first back. Like, a team like Edmonton makes a ton of sense for that for me. You know, yeah, like – or if Toronto does want to go big game hunting in free agency and chooses that Freddie Anderson's the cap casualty. Yeah. Yep. Maybe. Yeah. Like maybe you, I don't know how much, how much do you think you have to add on if you, if you're Toronto and you try and make it some kind of Freddie for Kemper deal with the idea, or maybe you just trade Freddie away and then you pick up Kemper with whatever asset you picked up from Freddie. But like, if you could make, a Freddie for Kemper deal with, you know, Arizona is probably going to turn around and just flip Freddie anyways, which would be fine. But like, or maybe you train them and then go pick something up. Like that could be really interesting too. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit tough because not many teams are good and need a goalie, but like there are enough teams that they should be able to get a good premium asset for Darcy Kemper. I think there's enough on the fringe where it's like they might convince themselves to get something, you know, good enough. Like maybe they I guess like Edmonton, get a first, you don't, but- Edmonton, we don't think of as like a great team, but like you but can I, see I, them doing it. Yeah, and if they have a legit goalie, I think they're at least one step closer to being, you know, somewhere a team that I'm more confident just putting in as a playoff team most years. And it's like, okay, now see where we go, right? Oh yeah, like a Kemper Koskinen combo all of a sudden makes like their goaltending position looks pretty good because Koskinen's not like the worst. Yeah. Yeah, maybe the market out there isn't big enough for you to, but like it's such a, he's so good and it's such a good contract where it's like, I think you have to be asking for a first round pick, but yeah. Or if Vegas can't do anything with Flurry or with uh, Leonard, I mean. Yeah, yep, that's another good one. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I just want to bring them up because it's like, it literally sounds like any, anyone who is under, I think they said under 23 or whatever is going to be on the table to trade. So it's like, you, I think there are some teams that might be able to pick the bones off of this team and get some good deals for, like, Vinny Hinnestroza or someone like that, for example, for absolutely nothing. Yeah, that's the thing. Or if, like, they want to sell Car- Connor Garland for a pick, you could see if you could buy low on him because he was good in Arizona. So if you're a good team, you think he could probably be great with you. Yeah, even, like, Michael Grabner for one more year. If you get him for a fourth or a fifth, that's not the worst pickup I've ever seen, you know? like. Yeah, I would like that. Grabner. Good depth score, can play on your penalty kill and everything. 
Yeah. So, but yeah, this team definitely needs top top three round picks. They are again, they have nothing this year in first, second, or third round. They don't have their first this year. They current or next year, sorry. They currently have their second, but um, if they re-sign Taylor Hall, they lose that and they get their third back. But if they let Taylor Hall walk, they just don't have their third. So they have a singular second round pick in the next two drafts, which is not ideal. No, not at all. Not when you're bad. Would you no. give up all of the players on this? Ro- would you take all of the players on this roster for Jack Eichel? Like trade them all? Like if you're Buffalo, you get everyone on Arizona oh, for Jack um, Eichel. No, just because <laughs> you do of the roster spots. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you do it either, which is really sad. Like maybe if all things were equal and it's like, you know, teams didn't because like the thing about that is like you can I think you can make enough of an argument that if theoretically you got all these guys at separate times and you could trade them all for assets without teams realizing you have 40 <laughs> players that you need to trade, yeah, then, fall. yeah, if it was like a GM connected style thinking where it's like people just don't realize how like roster limited you are to the point where it's like, I think you could get enough for like selling low on Derek Stefan and Phil Kessel and even <laughs> Nick Schmaltz where it's like, by the time you have, 30 second round picks in the year of a draft or whatever, maybe that equals the value, but it's like, yeah, like if you have to consider the contract spots, the the roster space, and just the fact that no team would ever trade with you if they know you're in a, like a jam or give you anything good. No, I don't think I would. <laughs> yeah. Like just, just a miserable spot to be. Yes. Oh, that was the other thing I want to talk about. Jack Eichel trade. Um, it's case who this is a non a non-factor i i'm gonna start out with that don't think that jack eichel was being traded because what ended up happening was bob mckenzie came out from a semi-retirement for a couple of weeks because the draft's coming up and free agency and those are the two things he said he'd be on for the next couple of years um he came out and he started his thread um as just saying you know i was shocked to hear that you know there might be rumors of jack eichel being moved the problem with that is that everyone just reads – he made a big thread, and it was about six or seven tweets of honestly nothing. He probably didn't need to tweet it in general. But it was <laughs> six or seven tweets of not much. But everyone just – and it ends off with saying, Jack Eichel's not being moved. They don't want to move him right now. He doesn't really want to move. You know, but if things get worse, keep getting worse or whatever, then, you know, keep your eyes on it. But absolutely nothing is happening this offseason. Everyone just takes the first tweet of, oh, could Jack Eichel? I was surprised to hear Jack Eichel's name being thrown around and go, could Jack Eichel be trade? And just start making trade scenarios up, which is just the most Twitter thing I've ever seen. And so whatever, right? Like not a big deal, but I wanted to start this off with Jack Eichel is not going anywhere before the season starts and probably even during the season, you know, if it's an absolute disaster next year, then maybe you start to hear more rumors of it, but he is not going anywhere for at least a year. And I would put my money on just in general, he's not going anywhere. Oh, it's the NHL. So the safest bet is he's not going anywhere. But my ears did kind of perk up when they're like, if they remain bad, because I very much expect them to remain bad. Yes. Yeah. Especially like, it depends what remain, like maybe if they finish 17th, they're a little less pissed off or whatever, but I I don't know. Either way, I wanted to know, I've talked to you about this, but I want to talk about it on the podcast a little bit. I was trying to figure out what the actual valuation of, Jack Eichel is and just like how much value is like fair value for Jack Eichel like because he is he's a top 10 center at 23 years old so if we made like an EA style trade value simulation the most valuable asset in the league is Connor McDavid 
The second, because we're counting contracts, is almost certainly Nate McKinnon. Yep. The third is probably Austin Matthews. Yeah, or and then you're getting the point where it's like probably Alexis Lafreniere. Yeah, well, he's not drafted yet, so I was thinking. Uh, yeah, I guess. But then is it's like Pedersen and Eichel are the next two in some order, right? Probably, yeah, unless you want to argue Makara Hughes just because they're cheaper at this second. But, like, they're, it's top ten he's got to be for sure. Yeah, like without blinking. And since he's a center, I like I find him more valuable than Makar Hughes. But that can be argued. He's like he's a top ten valuable asset in this league. There is such little precedent in far of tr- as far as like trades for players of that quality. I have no idea how the hell he gets valued. No, but and so what I put out was I was like, okay, well, the only team I could think of to even trying to put because you saw I don't know if you saw the Jack Haggerty tweet stupid Boston beat writer he's like in all seriousness the the Bruins would have to offer Studnika a first um, uh, David Krejci and Brandon Carlo to get in the ballpark of Jack Eichel I was like wait what they they've got a second line center with a boat anchor contract around them <laughs> a fourth defenseman a B-level prospect in a first-round pick is going to try and get you close to Jack Eichel, 30 teams should be close to Jack Eichel. Yeah. So yeah, I think so good. The first-round pick can't be the starting point of this trade. And no. very few trades in the NHL happen where a first-round pick isn't the starting point. So that's why I think one of the only teams that I, I could see doing it, because we just talked about how they're going to go big fish hunting maybe again this offseason, this would give them their centerman that they need. But at what cost? I said to Buffalo, or sorry, to, to New York, Jack Eichel. To Buffalo, Alexi Lafreniere, Capo Caco, and Carolina's 2021st round pick. So 22nd overall. I said, I, I put this out on Twitter. I said, uh, let's say, you know, Eichel's forcing his way out of Buffalo. Who says no on this deal? The results, 12% said Buffalo, 66% said New York, 17% said fair deal, and 3% said results. So it's a little bit you know, higher for all three of those numbers. Almost 70% of the poll said uh, New York says no. And I, I can see reasons both ways why uh, either of these teams wouldn't want to do it. But I think it would be New York going all in right now and Eichel and uh, Buffalo admitting that they, they have to rebuild again. Um, like I asked you about it and me and you kind of went back and forth on it. I did, someone did mention that uh, Carolina's 2020 first probably does nothing for either team in this draft or in this trade scenario. Like maybe it's a roster player or something, which fair enough, but like, yeah, like if it's Ryan Strom's rights or whatever. Yeah. Like to me, I think, I don't know. It's so hard. I'm not a prospect guy, but like, I don't know. Like Lafreniere has been valued really big, but like most things that I've seen from Lafreniere is that he's projected to be a star, but not at like the Austin Matthews level of things or like the Connor McDavid. Yeah. So it's like just a tier below that. Yeah. So say you can pencil Lafreniere into like the 10 to 20 range, which like, I think we sometimes overestimate how much certainty we have in putting a player who's never played an NHL game with the potential to be in that like 10 to 20 range. Yes. Like, and then there's Kako is like the wild card. Cause if you can talk yourself into Kako being the guy who was like maybe the top prospect in the league last year, then all of a sudden you're like, well, of course the Rangers say no and they don't even blink. But if you look at Kako being the worst player in the entire NHL this year, all of a sudden it looks 
way different, right? Yeah, exactly. And so that's kind of why, like, my train of thought was saying is like, okay, laugh for Eichel. And like, I think what people underestimate is just having the certainty that you have Eichel, a 23 year old top 10 center under contract for what, six more years at $9 million or $10 million? Yeah, and there's also this thing where, like, Eichel's played 40% of his minutes with Rasmus the rest of the line. And, like, everybody considers him amazing, and there's a decent chance he's a better than we think because his situation has been so bad. Yeah, and, yeah, so he has six more years at $10 million uh, at his cap hit, and he's 23. So that'll take him right through his prime pretty much. Like, that is amazing. Like, if you have that, you know you should be a cup contender if you have any semblance of a team around him right now. Yeah, like me and you are both really low on the Rangers, but the Rangers with Eichel are cup contender. Yes, because they have Eichel, Panarin, and like as much as I just talked about, like, yeah, the, the, their depth takes a little bit of a hit because they don't have Lafreniere, but Eichel as your top center with, uh, I don't even think you play him with Panarin just because it's like spread the wealth a little bit, but if you had, say, Eichel, Kreider, and Buchnevich as your first line, and then Panarin, Zabanajad, and a right winger of, or a left winger of any kind, you know, say it's Chidal, say it's Kratzov, maybe a, a rookie of some kind. And then you have, um, a Howden or, uh, Chidal and then Strom as your, and then, yeah, those three as your third line, like this team suddenly looks really much, much, much more dangerous just because of one player. Yeah. Like they, they all of a sudden look scary because I do believe Jack Eichel is that good. Yes, and, like, for Buffalo, like, you get Lafreniere to now go with Deline. You can work on building up Kako again. You know, you, for Buffalo, you're pretty much hoping that Kako is at least a top six forward of some kind, I think. And then, obviously, that Lafreniere is what they say Lafreniere is. Oh, I don't – I if Eichel wanted out, I don't know how you could justify Buffalo says no. Yeah, like, I just – I don't know what team could value this. And maybe I should have put it as just, like, forget Eichel forcing his way out it just let's say Buffalo goes up to New York and this is their offer at the draft for no particular reason. What, what did each team say? You know, maybe it's not him forcing his way out, but like I was struggling to come up with value that teams can match with this. Like the two other teams that kind of came up with was Ottawa and LA and like Ottawa, I don't think would do it because it doesn't fit their team. Like, you know, we just said that the, the Rangers have some older players. Ottawa's team core is 23 or younger, right? Like it doesn't fit yeah, their great. mold as much. Yeah, at least the Rangers have a 28-year-old heart finalist. Yeah, exactly. And, like, goaltending to, you know, theoretically be good now. Um, you know, they have two guys who look like they could be something. So, um, but, you know, for Ottawa, it's like, it doesn't make sense. And I was like, maybe L.A., I, you could talk yourself into it. You know, the second overall pick with uh, – who came back from injury for them this year, finally? Uh, oh, uh, Velarde. Velarde, yeah, like he, I'm assuming he would have to be thrown into the deal, right? Like Gabe Velarde in second overall, and then well, the problem is what else? Like, yeah, because the problem with a, a player of Jack Eichel's tri- caliber being traded is like you have to give up. Like this is a you're getting fired if you give up the wrong piece trade. Like if Capo Caco does still turn out to be like a 40 goal scorer next year. People like us will be able to say, hey, look, giving up on him was justifiable because he was so bad that, like, we should adjust what we thought. But the flip side is people will be like, well, you drafted him second overall a year ago, you idiots. Of course he went on to be good just because he had a bad 18-year-old season. Like, you look so bad if it goes poorly that, like, like New York obviously says no to this trade. Yeah, exactly. And then so it's like you look from L.A., 
I would assume one of Alex Turcott or Arthur Kaliev would have to be added into the deal, you know? Like, yeah. to get Eichel? Like, but I, I just like I don't I see LA wanting to do that now either. Uh, like, if you got Byfield Plus, I could see how you'd be like. Because the, the uh, one thing you're thinking is like the ELC years are so valuable. But like no, but what, I, what I'm saying is I don't know why LA would want to – like I don't know if LA feels that they're in the position that – because you know, the problem with New York is they need a center. LA has Anze Kopitar right now, and he's not Anze Kopitar four or five years ago, but like LA needs good wingers and just talent on their team. So it's like if you're in LA, they're kind of in the Ottawa shoes of like it might be better to just wait off and have three or four or five or six really good young forwards come in in a couple of years than it would be for one more right now, you know? Yeah. It, yeah. Cause there's most teams in the league are really good with Eichel, but like LA and Ottawa and Detroit are not them. And if you're not really good with Eichel, you're not trying to trade for them. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I was giving just, up futures. It won't happen. I was just kind of curious to look at like, what, what do you think value would be? And if you're listening to this and you didn't see my poll, let me know, you know, what you think about the value of the Eichel trade was, because I was a little surprised that it was so, I wasn't shocked because I think people love to over, overvalue, um, you know, the potential of what people could be, you know, especially when it comes to prospects. So when you look at it as a first overall pick, a second overall pick and the 22nd overall pick in the span of a year and a half, I get why people are going to be like, whoa, whoa, that's way too much potential. But it's like, I think it's closer than 68% of the time New York says no. Yeah, like it, like it, it depends. So like from a pure, if you're talking like a pure value standpoint, but like if I'm the Rangers GM, I'm saying no immediately because I'm getting fired if this goes wrong. Yes, but if you're the Rangers GM, you've already bought in on uh, Panarin and you have a core where it's like, if you suddenly get the three years from now and your core is too old to compete, but, or, you know, have the young slash old mix of like your older guys are just regressed to the point where you're not actually a cup contender anymore. It's like, okay, well, what do you do then? Yeah. Like, yeah, like it's a, it's a tough spot for sure. And I feel like Buffalo's new G like hopefully this guy doesn't have to actually do this. No, I, I, I doubt it. Like, and then like from all we've heard is that Eichel really does like the market too. Um, you know, like there's never been much that uh, suggested he really hates uh, anything in, about Buffalo. So like, I don't yeah, see him. Fair, absolutely... they, they love him. No, yeah, exactly. Like, like I, don't, I don't see a reason why he would force his way out unless there is another year or two of them being absolutely terrible, which, uh, you know, again, I don't think is the most unreasonable thing, but we'll see. Yeah. Like, say the next year they suck again he's 24 he's like man i've been i've been around for six years already and we don't even look close to the playoffs i say he hasn't sniffed the playoffs he doesn't look close to the play like it's a waste that we haven't been able to see more Connor mcdavid in the playoffs other than i guess two seasons i'll count this year as one because they probably would have made it but two seasons is what we've seen Connor mcdavid in the playoffs we haven't seen jack eichel yet yet he's been playing for half a decade and, like, there's pretty much a 0% chance he's on a top three team in his division as of the end of next year either. Yeah. Like, I think there's a – He's probably going to be on the fifth best team in the division by the time next season is over. When do you think the next time they're even in the – they are the a top three team, even the third best team in their division is? Because for that to happen, like, Tampa and Toronto are not going anywhere anytime soon. They need Boston to just get absolutely crushed with an age curve. 
and somehow be ahead of the Detroit and Ottawa rebuild. I was going to say, yeah, and yeah, that's the thing because it's like, say, yeah, if Boston, Boston might take a step back. I think that's absolutely possible that say in three years from now, Boston takes a step back. And honestly, maybe Tampa has too, but I think Tampa is so much talent where they still might be the third best team in the division. I don't think Toronto's going anywhere for a couple years for sure. And then, yeah, it just like, does are is your rebuild in the next couple of years better than one of you know Ottawa or Detroit or even just the middling Montreal team? And I don't see any reason at this point, or even Florida, if they you know make a couple moves and suddenly get goaltending, you know maybe they're not that bad. I don't see any point to think that Buffalo in the next two or three years would be a logical candidate to be top three in the division. Yeah, and like Florida and Montreal both have enough good players on their rosters where if they just like randomly hit on a Braden point style draft pick. They look like they're in a way better position than the Sabres. Yeah, because they need to absolutely overhaul everything that is not Jack Eichel about this team and Deline, I guess, as well. Yeah. Yeah, like there's just nothing there. And it's not like they have a top tier prospect pool either. No, like I think they're let me see what Cousins they are. is good. Cousins. Yeah, like they have a couple pieces, but for being how bad they have been in the past number of years, like it's nowhere near what it should be. No, like it's not even close. And it's not like it's the thing where it's like, oh, the Leafs were bad for five years and now their prospects pools back to being mediocre because they have so many good young NHL players. Like they don't even have that. Yeah, exactly. Like um, Pronman had them fifth uh, as organizational rankings, but that's because they have Deline and Cozens and, and then Yoka Haru. But it's like even that is just like, because of the organizational rankings, they have Deline, a guy who has proven to be a number one defenseman. I mean, he struggled last year a little bit, but he's not even 20, and he's a top 40 defenseman in the league, I would say. Yeah, and Promman tends to stick with his priors, and he was super high on Dallin, So Yeah, exactly. And then you look at uh, um, Scott Wheeler's 2020 prospect ratings at Buffalo 16th. So, like, that's not good. Yeah, that's not for how good bad they've been. Yeah, like they have Dylan Cozens. Uh, and then their second one is a goalie in Ukopeka Lukanen, which is not like you, I don't care how good of a, unless there's their next two are goalies, Eric Portillo as well. So when your second and third best prospects are goalies, you're a little questionable in my mind. Yeah. That's a very big problem. Like you better have freaking Carey Price or Hendrick Lundqvist on the way for, you know, your second best prospect to be a goalie after being bad for five years. Yeah, like there's, there is no way that's – like that just says terrible things about your organization. Yeah, and it's not like – because like everyone goes, oh, yeah, well, Toronto's 20-something. It's like, yeah, but Toronto's made the playoffs the past four years. You know, like since 2016, yeah. they've made the playoffs every single year. And like we, their prospects are bad because all of the guys they drafted high a while ago are now first-line players in the NHL. Exactly. Yeah. Which is contributing to them being into the playoffs. I was about to say playoff success. They have not had any of that. No but. success. But like you'd <laughs> rather have Mitch Marner than a good prospect. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I don't know. It's uh, it'll be something to watch what they do this off season. They will be very, very busy because they have a lot of people to sign. So um, should be good. Uh, I don't know how often we'll like, I, I think if it gets stupid busy, me, you might see a couple more episodes over the next month or two or definitely a month from Chase and I, you know, probably do one to recap the draft, uh, probably do one to, uh, you know, look ahead of free agency. And one, I know last year, I think we did two episodes 
in free agency because there was just so much to talk about. We split them up by a day or two, but uh, so there should be lots of content coming up from us, uh, which also means hopefully lots of content online as well. As always, you can find both Jason and I's work at lastwordonhockey.com. Um, you can find my work at milehighhockey.com. Uh, God, why do I always screw this name on? Milehighhockey.com. And you can find kind me on Twitter. Poster. Yeah, it is a little bit. And you can find me on Twitter at NHL Suns and Stuff. Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, have a great week. Stay safe. And we'll see you all next week. <laughs>